John 13, and we'll be reading, uh, well, our text today is verse 12 to verse 20, uh, but I think we'll begin reading in verse 4, just to refresh ourselves on the background, and uh, to bring clear the context. The context is uh, also exemplified by what is on the front table here. We have a basin and a water pitcher and a towel, and that uh, is also a visual reminder of what we're looking at here today. Before we get started in the Word of God, I just wanted to say a couple quick things. Um, there's a teen activity on Friday night, and we have five teenagers come to that. Thank you for those who prayed, and um, it, Jeremiah and Amanda said things went very well. I think there's an announcement following up with um, a little competition. We'll read about that in the announcements later. Um, also, I just wanted to say that um, I appreciate the opportunity to spend time with different ones in the church, um, outside of church, and we need time together, and it's also good to have time one with another, and this week I was able to spend time with several different ones in the church, and that is um, a joy and a blessing as pastor to be able to spend time with different ones, so um, I hope we will take time to spend with one another. We're reading in John 13 today, and we'll begin reading in verse 4. If you're able to stand for the reading, join with me in standing. Page 1025, uh, John 13, and I'll begin reading in verse number 4. We'll read down through verse 20, and then we'll pray together. And the Bible says, John 13, 4, He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not understand now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is washed needs only to wash his feet, but is every bit clean. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and had sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you are right to say it. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you understand these things, you are happy if you do them. I do not speak of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me 
receives him who sent me. Let's have prayer together. O Lord, I praise you for this passage. I thank you for the truth of it. I ask by the grace and power of your Holy Spirit that these words would uh, have life today, that they would reach the heart and the soul and the mind. May we grow in our awareness. May we grow in our actions. May we grow in our joy as we serve you and as we serve others. Help us to be able to see ourselves clearly and then to live as you have lived and to walk as you have walked and to follow in your example. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Sometimes there are moments in life where you go through an experience that changes you uh, deeply. Uh, sometimes they're very bad moments. You maybe uh, some people will say, where were you when the towers came down? Or, you know, where were you when this big thing happened? Maybe it's a passing of a family member. And you always kind of have that burned in your mind of that's where I was when that happened. Um, there's other situations in life that maybe they aren't negative like that, but they're very transformative. Um, I remember a conversation I had with my mother one time, and I was having some questions, and I was having some frustrations, and it wasn't just personal things, but these were deep questions and um, some frustrations about why God had done certain things and why God had allowed certain things. And I remember, just like it was yesterday, I remember sitting in the chair, I can take you right to the chair, I remember where she was sitting, and I remember her saying to me, John, I don't serve the Lord for the blessings he gives me. And I was like, you don't? And she said, no, I serve him because I get to know him. And that was just a light bulb moment in my Christian walk. And so sometimes there's moments that are, are really burned in our mind because we, we didn't understand and then we did understand. Or we didn't see and then we did see. Or maybe we just saw something completely differently. For these disciples, I hope and I believe it was a transformative moment for them. When John thought back to this night, he remembered this very deeply and it, it, it affected him. And he taught the truths that Jesus taught. Peter taught the truths that Jesus taught. And these men learned the lesson, I believe, of what Jesus was saying here. It's a lesson that we also need to learn in our life. The lesson that is right here in the text. As we get started, we're going to pick up at, at the finish of, of, the sto- of the action of the story, and then we'll, we'll start reading what Jesus says about it. But I just want to give a couple points in review. Last week, we talked about how Jesus had washed feet. And in that culture, they would have sandals, and it was very dusty roads, and uh, people who had had a bath did not need another bath, but they needed to have their feet washed when they came in from the dirty street. Usually this work was done by a very lowly person of the household. Um, If we go back in the story of Jesus, there's at least two, if not three times, where he had his feet anointed and washed, and each time it was a woman who did it. There was never a story of a man washing Jesus' feet recorded in the Bible. I'm not saying that never happened. I'm just saying that often it was the women, often it was the slave, often it was the younger child. It was was someone who had less, quote-unquote, status in the house that would do the dirty work of washing feet. Recently in Philippians 2, we've, we've read and studied about Christ leaving heaven and coming to earth, and it says he humbled himself. And one preacher said it this way, when Christ came down, he came all the way down. And he didn't just humble himself to wash feet, he even humbled himself to the death of the cross. But here in this passage, Jesus is the one that washes their feet. And he washes all the feet of all the twelve, and this includes Judas. And we know this because of what he says here 
after he's done washing their feet, he speaks of Judas as still present with them. And that's going to be uh, an important point at one verse coming up. So verse 12 says, Jesus says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and had sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? I call this the interpretation. This is Jesus' interpretation of what he has just done. And, you know, I don't know the exact thoughts of the disciples. I don't know all of their, uh, how they were processing this. You know, they might have just said to themselves, sure, I know what you've done, you know, you've washed my feet. Boy, they're squeaky clean, you know, thanks, I, I appreciate that. Well, it, it goes a little deeper than that. It, Jesus is not just saying, I have cleansed, um, I have removed the dirt off of your feet. No, what he's saying in verse 12 is he says, do you really understand, do you comprehend what it is that I have done to you? And the answer is they did not. They didn't fully see what he was saying. And if we just need a case in point, Peter was very confused about what Jesus was doing earlier. And um, Peter was, was uh, very, uh, very confused. He was saying, you need to wash my head, you need to wash my hands, and so on. So uh, in verse 12, he says, do you know, do you understand Do you comprehend what it is that I have done to you? Verse 13, he goes on to explain, and he says, You call me Master and Lord, and you are right to say it, for so I am. He points out to these disciples that they call him Master, they call him Lord. The word Lord is very similar to the idea of Master. Uh, they're, they're quite like synonyms. Now, sometimes in your Bible you'll find L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is a, a word meaning Jehovah, God. But when it's just in regular font, it, it has the idea of master or ruler or the one who is in charge. And Jesus points out to these disciples that they, sitting around the table, they call him the master. They call him the Lord. They say, you are the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we use that word Lord without thinking about what it means, don't we? We just say, he's the Lord, or I love the Lord. And, and re- what we're really saying is, I love the master. I love the master. I love the one in charge. He is the ruler. And he, sa- he says to his disciples, you call me Lord and master. And can I say that today we call Jesus Lord and master? We use the same terminology they did. We call him Lord and Master. And, you know, I I will point out that we use the word Lord more than we use the word Master, don't we? You know, I'm happy to serve the Lord means I'm happy to serve the Master. And this attitude, can I just say that this attitude of Jesus as the authority, as the one in charge, as the one who is over us, it's an important aspect of who God is. And I would say if there's one big change from theology maybe 100 years ago, or even 50 years ago, 150 years ago till now, and, and some of it's a healthy change and some of it not so much, but, but there is the teaching that Jesus is our brother and that he is our friend and that he is our companion. And the Bible teaches us these things, and so they are definitely true. But I think sometimes we, we overemphasize one aspect of the Lord to the neglect of another. And here he says, you call me Lord, you call me Master. And, and Jesus is pointing out to them, if I'm the Master here, why didn't you just go ahead and wash my feet already? Why didn't you take care of this need already? 
I'm the Lord. I'm the Master. You're the one that, that calls me that. But do the words have any meaning? right? Or d- does that name even click with you that I'm the Master? I think this is especially far from us in America because there's no like master-slave relationship. Uh, and that's a good thing. There's no, you know, probably the... I'm trying to think of what the strongest authority figure that we have today in our life is. It's probably like when you're a kid and you have a parent. That's probably the, the strongest one that we can really think of. Because the government, you know, for most people, it's generally not too much into their life. And, you know, we have a boss-to-employee relationship, but that's not... I mean, that's... I don't know. There, it just seems like in America we're, we're very free <laughs> and very individualistic and everything, and we don't have a strong authority structure sometimes. And this picture of master is that Jesus calls the shots, that he's the one in charge and that what he says goes. And unfortunately, sometimes as his children, we do like Peter, what he just did in this, pastor, in this passage. We pull our feet back and we say, yeah, you're not going to wash my feet. And it's like, wait a minute, who, who is that? That's Jesus. That's the master. How can we say no to the master? How can we ignore the words of the master? You know, at this point, we don't know if Peter was last in the row or if he was partway through the row. It implies that he wasn't first, okay? So other people had had their feet washed. Other people had had Jesus serve them. And when it comes to Peter, he says no. And this is not unique to Peter. There's other times where Peter rebuked the Lord, right? Do you remember after Jesus said, or yeah, after Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Do you remember that? And, and Jesus commends him for his faith. The very next thing, Jesus begins to tell him about his crucifixion and his, his you know, being killed. And the Bible says that, that Peter says, not so, Lord, it shall never be. And Peter starts to argue with him. That's the first thing he does after he got saved, is start to argue with the Lord. Uh, Jesus is the master. And he, he uses these two words. You, you call me master and Lord, and you are right to say it, for so I am. But now he builds on it in verse 13, and he takes it a step further. In verse 13, he tells these, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 14, the Lord tells the disciples, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. All right, so he says, if I'm the Lord, if I'm the Master, and I am, Rosario, you'll need to do screen for me today. Um, he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, you're going to uh, follow in my steps. I'm the Lord, I'm the Master, I have washed your feet, and so now you need to wash one another's feet. He does not tell him, he does not tell them you need to wash my feet, which is kind of the obvious, right? If he's the Master, then of course his feet should be washed, but that's not even what Jesus said. You know why he's not as concerned about that? Because very soon Jesus will be where? In heaven. Jesus is very shortly going to go to heaven. Jesus knows the opportunities for washing his feet are gone at this point. I mean, he's going to go to the garden. He's going to be arrested and crucified. And after that, he'll have a glorified body. He probably doesn't need feet washing. It's kind of a past tense thing at this point. But he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I call this, in verse 14, the greater to the lesser. The greater to the lesser, in verse 14. He says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I, the master, have washed your feet, then you who are not the master should wash one another's feet. Now, some 
people in church history have taken this very, very literally, and so they do foot washing, and they have it in church service where they do a foot washing time, and um, I don't necessarily throw stones at them, but, you know, that's how they see it, and they need to obey the Bible as they understand it. I understand that Jesus is not speaking of the specific act, which is for their culture and not really for ours. He's referring to the Spirit and to the actions that are needed everywhere. Um, Jesus is smiling at people that serve one another. You know, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Those men, after their feet were washed, were they able to more fully partake in the feast? Yes, they were. Because that aspect of them, the smell, the dirty, whatever it is, that undone thing was holding them back from a full participation, from a full enjoyment in the time around that table. It was a need. It was not just a want. It was a need. And what we do in our Christian service one to another is we help others in a way that frees them up to fully engage with the Lord, to fully partake in the church. I want to throw out a few examples for us here. Um, a few examples of how this works in, our, in, in church uh, life is that there are some people that work with cleaning and picking up and vacuuming and so on so that when people come into church, they don't find trash in their, their uh, chair. Um, now, is it possible to find trash in your chair and still worship the Lord? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can still worship God if you have trash in your chair. Is it better to worship the Lord without trash in your chair? Absolutely. You know, there are others who serve in the nursery here, and they watch the small children, the little children, and um, they take time out of the service, and they miss the service so that others can not have uh, maybe the tears and some of the, the things that, that the little babies have um, that would, would um, affect the service. Now, is it possible to have a church service with babies in it crying and all? Yeah, it's been done. Some, some people do that. It's not as though that cannot be. But it is more simple and it is easier to receive the Word of God when you don't have that distraction. That's church life. But how about our personal life, right? We're looking to others and seeing if others have a need and a way that we can help them, a way that we can serve them. Maybe we can pray for them. Maybe we can come along and help with a financial need. First um, John says that if you see your brother, maybe it's James, James or First John, if you see your brother have a need and, uh, and you have no heart, no interest, no concern for that need, the question is asked, how does the love of God live in that person? Jesus here says, I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Can I just also remind us that this task was a very lowly, humble task that no one, I, I don't know how to say this, I, I don't think they all stood up and like gave him a standing ovation for this. I don't think that's how it worked because maybe in their mind's eye, they thought, oh, washing the feet, you know, that's kind of a, you know, it's a necessary thing, but it's not, it's not really glamorous. It's not a public. It's just kind of like a off to the side sort of thing. And Jesus did that off to the side sort of thing. And can I remind us that the Lord sometimes calls us to serve him in very off the corner sort of ways and in the background and shadow sort of ways. And when you serve in those shadows, guess what? You don't always get the applause. You don't always get the big recognition. And he says, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash others also. Verse 14. 
So we see him arguing from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus can wash feet, then I can wash feet. If Jesus can serve in humility and lowliness, the master, if he can serve that way, then certainly I can serve that way. He's the Lord Jesus. He's the, the ruler of the universe. You know, I remember what John said. I don't know if you ever connected this to John chapter 1, but hold your place right here. Flip back a few pages to John chapter 1. I hadn't really put these verses together until just now in this week of study. But in John chapter 1, John the Baptist says something about Jesus that is very, very interesting in light of this. It's in verse 27. John 1, verse 27. And he's speaking of Jesus. And John the Baptist says, It is he, that it is, it is Jesus, who coming after me is preferred before me. Now notice this next one. Whose shoe strap I am not worthy to untie. Whose shoe strap I am not worthy to untie. Who would untie the shoe strap of anyone? The one who is washing their feet. And John the Baptist says, He is so high, He is so holy, that I am not even worthy to be His foot washer. That's how high and, and lifted up John was looking at Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet. And so my question for you today is, how have you served your brothers and sisters? How have you known them and loved them and reached out to them in a way where you are serving and meeting their needs? It is but natural to fear and worry about our own needs. That will come naturally. Most of us don't need to work too much on that department. But we do need to open our eyes to the needs of others. Verse 15, he goes on to say, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is the pattern. The pattern, verse 15. The pattern of Jesus is that we should do as he has done to us. And this is, the, I think, the, the verse that helps me see that this is an example um, it's, it's a picture, it's a model to follow, and it's not specifically a direct command about washing between toes as much as it is meeting needs. Um, this picture, um, I don't know, I, I, I like the picture of having the, the towel, the basin, the, the pitcher itself. It helps it make, make it a little more real to me. But the point is that Jesus was willing to serve others right where they needed to be served. Um, not the way that he preferred to serve them, but in the area that they needed, right? And I think sometimes we get really focused and we're like, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't. There's this one thing that I can do. Well, we all have our strong points and weak points, granted. But at this moment, Jesus didn't say, I'm not, you know, I'm, Washing feet, I, I haven't really done that much in my life. I'm not really good at it. it. It wasn't about him. It was just about the need. And sometimes the need has to become bigger than us. Um, that's a quote from Pastor Jay, by the way. The need has to be bigger than me. And that's exactly what it was in this passage. Verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. We, here we see the servant, verse 16. And Jesus is just saying, look, if, the, if, if we have the servant, we have the master. The servant is not greater than the master. 
That's not how this works. The servant is lower than the master. And then he uses the second example. The one who sent someone is always greater than the one who is sent. Um, I remember being sent numerous times helping my dad on projects. He would ask for my help. And I know when I was really young, it was kind of like a, um, I don't know, throwing me a bone or just spending some time with me. Because usually the project took longer with me around, right? You know, I would mess something up or I would bring the wrong tool and dad would have to say, no, not this tool, it looks like this and it look, the name is this and it looks like this and it does, okay, off I would go to get the tool. Well, in that, in that situation, I'm the gopher guy, right? Later, <laughs> um, later I worked as a, uh, in drywall and helping a drywaller for three summers, I did drywall work. And you know what? I was the lowest guy on the totem pole on that drywall crew. So I was given like the most dirty tasks and I was given the most simple tasks because if they had expensive tools and it took a lot of skill, I was not involved, all right? I was the guy coming behind cleaning up after them or something. Why? Because I'm the guy that, that is lowest on the totem pole here. And I had to, uh, I would do filling a lot of screw holes and I did a lot of sanding because nobody wanted to do sanding. And um, I did a lot of the tasks that no one else wanted to do. You say, oh, that's because you were so humble, John. No, it's not. It's because I just was the lowest guy, and they made me do it, okay? It had nothing to do with humility. Um, ignorance was maybe the, uh, the bigger deal there. But in that situation, nobody would come on the work crew and be like, oh, this project looks really nice. Everything's going great. Uh, boy, I want to talk to John. He's, he's the guy that really made this happen. No, no, I'm, I'm the, the one that's, that's over here. I'm not greater than the boss. I'm not greater than the one organizing and who owns the tools and who owns the company. And so it is, as we serve the Lord Jesus, we need to remember our place. What is our position with Jesus? What is our position exactly? Well, we're the servants, and he's the master. We're the ones who are sent, and he's the one who sent us. Our world has a, a different take on this whole thing with service. The world looks at you, and many times the way they value people is by how many people are under them. If you say, I'm a CEO of a company with 14,000 employees, right? Everyone goes, ooh, boy, he's a big, big shot guy, right? I'm a, you know, I'm a governor of this whole state, and uh, our, we have this big of a budget. We have, oh, wow, here's this guy. He's up at the top. Jesus looks at people very differently. And he doesn't ask how many people are under you. He actually asks the opposite. How many people are you underneath? In other words, how many people are you serving? Not how many people are serving you. How many people are you serving? And, you know, the world says, oh, boy, you know, you got to be over people. you got to climb over. you got to be on top of them. you got to be in that position of power. And then you're going to be happy, right? Then you're going to be, I mean, that's life, to have the power, to have the money, to be over and in control. That is life. And Jesus offers us a very, very upside-down life. It's very different. In a moment, he's going to tell them something that um, I think is actually the key verse of the whole passage. So he tells them, The servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. You know, that he who is sent, do you know where, what English word we get out of that phrase? We get the word apostle. An apostle is a sent one. And when Jesus left this world... He reminded his disciples, who are also his apostles, remember, the one who is sending you out is greater than the one who is being sent. And you know, those apostles, they really did have some authority, and they did have some power. But you know what? Their authority and power was not given them to take advantage of people. It was given them to what? 
to serve and to help and to bless. And if God has given you a position where people are technically underneath you, He's put you there to serve them and to bless them. Not to take advantage, not to rule over them, but rather to minister and to help and to love and to serve them. So verse 17, I think, is the key to this whole passage. Look at verse 17 with me. If you understand these things, you are happy if you do them. If you do them. Jesus tells the disciples, you will be happy if you wash feet. What? I mean, nobody wants to do that task. Everyone avoids it because it doesn't make them happy. So how is it going to make us happy when nobody wants to do it, right? Sometimes people, uh, there's always the task that no one wants to do, right? It's the dirty thing. It's the disgusting thing. It's the difficult thing. Maybe it's the time-sensitive, time-intensive uh, thing. Whatever it is, the thing that no one wants to do. Jesus here is saying, if you understand all this and you do it, you'll be happy. This verse really makes me pause a little bit, and it makes me do some self-examination. You know why? Because, I don't know if you've been here or not, but there are times that I have served people, and I have not been happy about it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever served someone and been grumpy about it the entire time? Well, they should see, they should, they should be more thankful for what I'm doing, and um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll do this because no one else will do it, you know? Nobody else wants to do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll be the guy. And that spirit, Jesus is saying, if you do this, you're going to be happy. So I have to ask myself, well, how, why is it that I can do service things and not be happy about it? Well, you know what he says. Read the verse carefully. If you understand these things, you are happy if you do them. So there's two steps to being happy. You have to understand and then you have to do, and then you'll be happy. Now, can I just remind us that the world and our approach to life is often very backwards, and we say things like this. Well, if I'm happy, then I'll have the mindset to be able to do them, and it will be great. No, you, you don't start with happiness. You actually start with understanding, and then you do, you take action, and then the happiness comes last. I don't know if you've learned this in your life yet or not. Happiness is a caboose. Do we all know what a caboose is? When you have a train, one time I took a, a train ride in Alaska. It was the most beautiful train ride I've ever had, and it was one of the only train rides I've ever had, honestly. But um, it was a beautiful train, and I made sure when we got on this train that I got on the last car of that train. You know why? Because it was going up into the mountains, and it was, it's a tourist thing. So I had read about it online. People say, you need to take this train. You need to take this train. It goes up in the mountains of Canada. It was very beautiful. Sunshine through the clouds and mountains and beautiful, most beautiful train ride. Uh, why did I want to be on the last train? You know why? Because they had a little thing at the end of the train where you could go outside, and they had chains on the thing, but you could stand, and you could take pictures off the back of the train with nothing there, right? There, it was the end of the train. Now, all those other people, when they got on their little back thing, all, the next thing they saw was another train car, right? I got on that last one, and I just had a great time. If you're ever really bored sometime and want to see those pictures, I can show them to you. They're beautiful. I have one on the wall in my dining room. But I was on the last end of that train. And happiness is a caboose that is attached to other things. And so many people are seeking happiness as the engine. They're seeking happiness as the middle link in their life. 
But happiness is truly a caboose. And Jesus says here, if you understand these things, and if you do these things, you'll be happy. Jesus gives us a formula for happiness right here. And can I just, I I just want to say, I think a lot of Christians, we miss it. Jesus says you can be happy washing feet. You can be happy doing the lowliest of service if you remember some things. Well, what are those things we need to remember? Well, we got to remember that Jesus is the Lord and Master. We got to remember that Jesus has already washed feet. And we got to remember that if we're serving Jesus, if we're serving the King of Kings, we're not just doing this for, for people. We're doing it for the Lord. That's why in Colossians, Paul could write to the slaves. And he could say to the slaves, now, you serve your masters, but, but don't do it as unto men. Don't do it for people. Do it for the Lord. Because He's the one watching. He's the one that's going to reward you. And you know, uh, when, when God calls us to wash feet, or to pick up trash, or to change diapers, or to do whatever lowly task comes our way, if the Lord gives us that privilege, we're doing it for, not people, for the Lord. He's the master. And we get to serve the master. We get to fulfill the will of the master. And we get to serve others along the way. This will bring happiness. This will bring joy. This word for happiness is the same word that's used in Matthew 5, where we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be happy, to be blessed, is a result of understanding and knowing, and it's a result of doing, which is action. So Jesus says, you know, you use the words Lord and Master, but if you'll do the action of treating me as Lord and Master, you'll be better off. If you'll remember that the Master is above the servant, you'll be much better off in this life. If you'll remember that the one doing the sending is more important than the one being sent, you will have a more happy existence. Satan tries to tell us that independence is where happiness is at. If you just had no care in the world, if, if you didn't have any responsibility, if you just had lots of money, and if you just had a better job, and everything was the way you wanted it, then you would have a happy existence. You'd be so happy and free. That's what you need. And Jesus actually says, no, no, you can be happy washing feet. You can be happy doing the lowliest of tasks if you remember these simple truths. I hope that you'll meditate on these things because these, these verses, this story, has the ability to revolutionize your life. Husbands, are you serving your wife? The Bible tells us to love our wives, how? As Christ loved the church. And you know, we can find joy in serving our wife. Do you know, parents that we can serve and minister to our children. You know, sometimes uh, parents, and I've been there myself, uh, we feel like we're busy, we have lots of things going on, and children are just a problem to be managed, to be put over here. Well, no, no, the Bible actually says that, that we can serve and love and minister to our children in a way that blesses them and helps them. In this church, I can look for other church members that have a need, that have a situation, that have... Um, a burden to bear and I can walk up beside them and I can love them and help them and look at their needs as more important than my needs. I don't know if you've met someone who figured this out, but in my life I've, I've met a few people that have figured this out. Where they learned joy in service and I think first they had to understand some things differently, but then they did it and they lived out the joy of this service to the Lord. 
I guess one couple that comes to my mind from my youth from Minnesota was a couple named Har and Shar Anderson. And he was a, um, he was a chiropractor. And I can't remember, I think she worked in his chiropractic business for many years. But, but they were always full of joy. They were always full of happiness. And every time we met them, they lived, they would tell stories about different people that they had met. They loved people. And, and they would talk about, oh, yes, we met this uh, foreign exchange student from China. And, um, you know, uh, I, they were the neighbor. I can't remember the connection, neighbor or something. And they, they had them over for dinner. And, and um, they, they taught them to drive. And they took them out in the car and taught them to drive and spent time with them and shared Christ with them. And, and, and they came to, be, uh, to eventually receive Christ before they went back to communist China. And they would have stories about serving in their church. And they would take a week of vacation from their job and go to some Christian camp and paint and do projects and different things. And the world would look at them and say, that's not, that's not how you enjoy life. I mean, you got to be on the golf course. you got to have the big house. And I, I believe they did have some funds. I believe they did have some money to their name. And, uh, but, you know, they had their, their modest home, and uh, they had a modest car, and I know they did have a little cabin in the woods, but even that was used to serve others, and they would bring other people to that cabin. And they took what God had given them, and they just said, I'm a servant for Jesus. How can I love and serve others? And they were some of the happiest people I've ever known. They're still living, and uh, Harlan is 90 years old. And when we, last time I met up with him, I think was about 18 months ago when we were in Minnesota, and we met at some park, and he, there he came up. I know he has pains and aches like every 90-year-old does, but he was sitting there at the table taking an interest in us, loving us, investing in us, and I look at those people and I say, you know what? They have read John 13 and they have understood it and they have lived it. And you know what? They're some of the happiest people I know. They don't have the nicest house. They don't have some massive ministry. They're not on some platform somewhere. No, they're just saying, this is what God's given me to do and I'm going to serve him to the full. I remember he's the master and I'm the servant. There's a need that I can serve. There's a way that I can Help God's people. Jesus is a living example of humble service. I think I made mention of this last week, but I want to mention it again. Two things. Jesus says in his word, he says, if you do this unto the least of my children, you have done it unto me. And that is a huge, huge verse for us to pair up with this passage because if we wash God's people's feet, if we love and serve God's people, who is it really that we're serving? Jesus. You know, if Jesus came in today and said, boy, I need an aspirin, I think we would offer him an aspirin. If Jesus came in today and said, boy, I have a need, um, this, this bill is not paid, right? If Jesus came in today and said, I just need someone to pray with me, we would be like, right there. I mean, Jesus needs some help. Here's Jesus. Oh, I get to serve Jesus. But when God's people come in and they say those very same things, we get to serve Jesus. And the day is coming where we'll gather around the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will gird himself and that Jesus will serve us. Now that really blows my mind. And in that day, I think I will think like Peter and say, no, no, Jesus, it, this is backwards, right? Maybe we'll be smarter than that to disagree with the Lord, right? 
but we might have that at least thought, right? What's the only way I can prepare for the day that Jesus serves me? I think it's to serve others now. To serve the people that he has put in our life now. And that one day when he serves us, it will be humbling, it will be unique, it will be special. I don't know all that will happen in that moment. But I think on that day, we'll be glad we served others with the time that God gave us. I hope you'll be a servant for Jesus' sake. Let's bow our heads together. We won't.